Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome to it. I'm John Fugelsang. Great to have you with us here at Channel 127. This is Tell Me Everything, the little show that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Welcome to Progress After Dark. For the next three hours, we're going to be taking your calls and your questions and your corrections and your horrible jokes and your threats and your promises of glory at 866-997-4748. We would love to hear from you. We're live and interactive all the way till midnight on the East Coast. 9 p.m. on the Pacific. We're just like cable news, except we let you talk and we listen. Our Trump-supporting brothers and sisters go straight to the front of the queue. We love you. We won't hate you back. Drive you nuts that way. Strong show tonight. I'm glad you're here. Thea Harper, our producer running this thing out of Brooklyn. Chris Houselt, our executive producer, is running this beast out of South Carolina. I come to you from Brooklyn. Tonight, let's do a show. It's no great secret that women's reproductive rights are under fierce attack in Texas. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled to welcome Texas Senator Carol Alvarado. Now, she has been mentioned on this show in the past. She's a bit of a folk hero around these parts. You remember uh, way, way back in 2021 when the Texas Senate passed their voter suppression bill, Senate Bill 1, the GOP's priority bill, placing new restrictions on voting rights that disproportionately suppressed ballots of voters of color and disabled voters. There was one famous 15-hour Democratic filibuster, and that's the name you should know, Senator Carol Alvarado. She famously filibustered for 15 hours and four minutes on her feet without sitting, leaning, eating, drinking, using a restroom in accordance with Texas rules, even wearing a back brace. She's been a state senator since 2018. She represents District 6 in Harris County, which includes Baytown, Pasadena, uh, South Houston. She is a University of Houston alum, and she won her re-election campaign in 2020 with 84% of the votes. Her main focus, well, issues that affect women or families in Texas, women's health, reproductive rights, education. During her three terms, 
The senator has authored bills to qualify all Texas four-year-olds for pre-K to increase career and technology education funding and to limit <clears throat> elementary class sizes. Just for starters, what a great pleasure to welcome Senator Carol Alvarado to SiriusXM. Oh, John, thank you. The honor is mine. Uh, I'm really happy to be with you, coming to you live from our office in the Capitol building. By the way, a little tidbit, our Capitol building is the only one that is taller than the national Capitol. So it is really? true. Things are bigger in Texas. <laughs> I have been to your Capitol, and it is a, a beautiful, beautiful piece of architecture. I actually find the Texas Capitol fascinating because I would imagine so much of your job is having to get along and work with Republican legislators who seem to have one face when they're fundraising or trolling for votes. And then uh, some of them seem to be capable of being reasonable adults behind closed doors. You are rightly praised for forging a lot of alliances with our friends on the right. Yeah, I, I'll give you just a, an example. Just yesterday, I, I sponsored the um, catalytic converter bill. You know, that's a big oh, issue yeah. across the country, theft of it. We had a deputy who lost his life. Uh, somebody was stealing his catalytic converter from his personal vehicle. He was shot and killed in the presence of his wife. And my bill is going to really crack down on this. And we're giving law enforcement and prosecutors the tools they need Two of my Republican colleagues had similar bills. They've deferred to me. We've rolled the bills all into one. So mine is the one that will move. Great bipartisanship. I wish we had that on many other things, especially when it comes to health care, like expanding Medicaid, allowing more of an expansion for medical marijuana. Right. Uh, and then women's health, of course. And as you mentioned, we're celebrating Women's History Month. And Texas is a bragging state, but one thing I do not like to brag about is the fact that we have the strictest laws when it comes to women's reproductive health. Absolutely. And of course, you know, across the nation, the struggle for women's reproductive rights in Texas is getting front page headlines. Abortions are now banned, of course, in the state. Uh, they are our factions trying to ban abortion medication, uh, including by mail for all 50 states based out of Amarillo. We know five women are suing the state, saying the abortion bans yes. endangered their health. And, and let's not get started on those bounties for anyone who aids and abets a woman in a termination. I mean, what's it like for you as a legislator? who's quite frankly outnumbered. I can only imagine how upset your constituents must be. Yeah, John, it's frustrating because to me, it tells the story that Texas doesn't respect women. Texas lawmakers in the majority don't think that we're smart enough to make our own decisions when it comes to our own body. Uh, and that's the bottom line, no matter where, where, where you stand. Look, I'm Catholic, pro-choice. I respect people on the other side of the aisle for their opinions about how they feel about abortion. But when you start allowing bounty hunters, when you pass laws that say, oh, well, this Uber driver or this friend gave somebody a ride to a Planned Parenthood clinic, then then they're, they want to take them to court. They want to file a lawsuit on them. And they're paid. They're paid as a bounty hunter. Uh, you're, you are criminalizing doctors and we're not even listening. Well, those that are passing these bills aren't listening to what the professional experts have to say That's about right. the endangerment 
of women's lives. And that's why you had five women who are now suing the state. We know that this is not the end. There was one that in a previous interview shortly after the bill was passed, remained anonymous. She has since then come forward, revealing her all of her identity because she knows that it's just a matter of time before we may have a death on our hands. That's how drastic this is. Absolutely. And you're such a longtime advocate for women's health. I think the first time I ever heard of you, Senator, was way, way back in 2011 during a debate that would require a doctor performing an abortion to conduct a sonogram 24 hours ahead of the procedure. You famously brought a sonogram instrument to the floor to show those men just how invasive that particular wand is. I thought it was heroic. It was, of course, passed and Rick Perry signed it into law. But I'll bet I'll bet you swayed a lot of people. People's thoughts that day? Well, when I think about back then, trust me, when I brought it out, there was complete silence on the floor because nobody had ever used a prop like that. And it really did get some people thinking about it. I think we managed to get maybe, you know, one Republican vote in the House, one in the Senate. But the bill author was a man, of course, and they're, they're mostly men who are sponsoring these bills. And to me, it's just, it's really a slap in the face. And then with the, basically the outlawing of Roe v. Wade before it became outlawed by the Supreme Court, you know, unfortunately what happens in Texas isn't staying in Texas. It's being spread around like a disease. And so then you had other states start doing it, right? Yeah. But never... Did we think that we would be at a point where we would no longer have Roe v. Wade? Because when things were getting so bad here, we'd say, well, at least we have Roe v. Wade. At least we have Roe v. Wade. And then, you know, now we don't. But this should be a shocking, you know, alert, awakening for everybody that elections matter. And when Donald Trump was elected, these are the consequences. And if nobody believe that would happen, that we would be at this point, well, they're wrong because the election allowed him, his victory, to appoint a record number of Supreme Court justices. And here we are. I want to single you out for praise as a Catholic who fights for women's reproductive freedoms. My listeners know this uh, from me saying it all the time, but I'm the child of two ex-clergy, a nun and a Franciscan. Uh, And I grew up realizing that the Bible never actually bans abortion, uh, that the Bible never commands you punish poor women with greater poverty or incarcerate women for it or have the state force rape victims to bear their attackers children. Christ was against the death penalty. I know how popular that is down there in Texas, though. And I'm curious, what kind of support have you received from your Texas faith community in the fight for women's rights? John, it's really not something that comes up a lot with just your everyday parishioners. Sure. And if you listen to or read about what our Pope talks about, that's not something he's really pushing a lot. But it's You're right. more, I think, your activist type pro-life that push a lot of that uh, and try to keep it in the limelight, tying it to, you know, the Catholicism and stuff like that. But, you know, in my church, it's not really... We're not really talking about it. I think we need to be respectful of people's opinions. And 
I just wish we had more consensus on these type of issues and just healthcare in general. Texas has the largest uninsured population than any mm -hmm. other state in the country. And yet the part of health that we focus on is shoving draconian laws down the throats of women. So to them, that's healthcare. To me, that's <laughs> not. It's abuse. It's belittling women. And I just, when I think about the problems that we have in this state with the number of uninsured, mental health, gun violence, and some on the other side of the aisle like to point to mental health. Well, if that's the case, then we should be doing a heck of a lot more in terms of funding and resources when it comes to mental health. Absolutely. And I mean, that's another area where you have really stood out. I know that you've worked with both Democrats and Republicans to advance legislation. I know in the last session, I think you got 29 bills signed into law through a Republican-controlled right. Senate and House chamber. What is your secret? <laughs> is it just finding well, common ground beyond politics? Finding common ground and being willing to, to, to listen. I want to hear why they oppose something. I want to know what their problem is with certain issues. And so I try to spend time with members that I might not have anything in common with. I come from a very urban district. I want to mm -hmm. go and listen to what my friend in East Texas or West Texas has to say out in their rural communities. But the important thing is let's build consensus. I don't know when that became such a bad word. I mean, it's I think it's my favorite C word right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is the only way things get done. And I know a lot of uh, right. true believer liberals and conservatives have a hard time accepting that. But you're you're exactly right. But let me ask about something else, though, because the ADL uh, just released a report that showed the beautiful state of Texas led the nation in white supremacist propaganda incidents last year. That includes, you know, display or distribution of anti-Semitic, racist or anti-LGBTQ stickers, banners, graffiti, what have you, uh, a 61% increase. So I get surprised when I see now Texas has got the Republican Party focusing not on beating back the racism, but on eliminating diversity, equity and inclusion at mm. Texas universities. You have been out in the forefront on this to make sure that all Texans have fair access to public universities. How is that fight going? It's an uphill battle here, uh, along with many of the things we've talked about, but especially in a state that is very diverse, we are a majority minority state where Latinos and African-Americans and Asians outnumber Anglos. And we have our proximity to the border, which, you know, of course, border issues, we could probably spend a whole segment on that, too. Absolutely. But if you look at the workforce in this state, who's building the, the roads, who's in the hospitality industry, it's a majority of people of color that are mm -hmm. doing that type of work. When March Madness started, Texas had seven teams in the NCAA match March Madness, and the you look at the the population, the demographics of those players. You know, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. You look at the reason that people come to Texas. Of course, it's because of our business friendly environment, but they also recognize that Texas 
the demographics sort of starting to reflect what the country is and where it's going. So to have things that take steps backwards, instead of embracing diversity, we're kicking it in mm-hmm. the rear yeah. and saying that should not be included in, in student admissions or you know, programs or recruiting faculty, professors. Now there's a bill to do away with tenure too. So there, there's a, an, an attack on education vouchers are up um, in the, which I think will hurt could really damage our public education system. So education unfortunately now is the the political piñata this session. You know, of course every yeah. session it's been, you know, immigrants and border stuff, but now we've got a new element that they're attacking. Well then Senator, let me ask the million dollar question. What are you optimistic about? What's giving you hope right now? Well, our economy is good in Texas right now. We have a budget surplus, record surplus in the entire history of the state with over $32 billion. So we're, we're doing some good stuff with that. We will be putting more money into public education, providing some sound property tax relief for folks, hopefully doing other good things like increasing per capita what we spend on mental health, which is something mm-hmm. we need, and reinvesting in our state's old infrastructure, investing and making sure we have enough water for many decades and generations to come. So those are the good things. Those are the things we should be focused on. How do you continue to build on that and improve? Uh, But what we've passed so far this session, we're still kind of in the beginning, the first half, but we've been dealing with, you know, public hearings on, you know, more voter suppression things. Just when you think, there's nothing else you can do or on women's health. They, they've always got something else in their back pocket to, uh, to move that agenda further. Well, I just thank you for all you do. I, I consider all of the Texas legislature Democrats folk heroes for when you left the state to try to protect the voting rights of people who didn't have any power. And you were the ones who stood up for those voters. So I thank you for your service. And I, I thank you for joining us. What's the best way for our listeners, Senator, to, to follow you and keep up with all the work your office is doing? Sure. Join us on our social media platforms at Carol, C-A-R-O-L, at Carol for Texas. Brilliant. Carol Alvarado represents District 6 in Harris County, Texas. It is a great pleasure to have you with us. Please come back anytime. And thank you so much. I'd love to. If you come down to Texas, give us a call. Oh, I got family in San Antonio. I'm going to do just that. I'll hook you up. Great city. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. And we'll be right back. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. I am always so thrilled anytime we can get Anthea Butler to join us here on the show. And we've been very lucky since we launched this show. We've been able to get her many times. She is, of course, the Associate Professor of Religious Studies and Africana Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. You, Riff Raff, may have seen her over the years on BBC, MSNBC, CNN, the History Channel, and PBS. She regularly writes terrific opinion pieces covering religion, race, politics, and popular culture for Religion News Service and NBC Think and CNN. But her book, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America, is one of the greatest things that I have read. And every time we can get Professor Butler on the air, I'm always thrilled. It is a book that is unsparing in its very simple and very passionate critique of the hypocrisy of right-wing white Christianity and the betrayal of the creed they claim to follow. She's also just begun a new Substack, which I'm very, very excited about. It's a pleasure to welcome Professor Anthea Butler back to SiriusXM. Thanks, John, for that generous introduction. I'm always happy to be with you. Your work means so much to me, I must say. And I have to say, I was really thrilled to be reading the New York Times, uh, Caleb Gale's piece, Black Evangelical and Torn, and mm-hmm. come across a fiery quote from you at the end of the piece, yeah. uh, when which you said to the author, when you're black and evangelical, you're killing your own soul. You're not just killing yourself, you're killing your ancestors. I can only imagine how interesting your week must have been after that story was posted. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I didn't get as much black as I thought I was going to get. I think in really? part because... You know, it's it's a piece where you you watch this sort of genesis, what's happening to the two men in here. And then you got this other Baptist sort of sandwich in between. And, and you can't help but come to that conclusion that you've killed a part of yourself and a part of, you know, your ancestors as well as part of your history in order to be in this particular religious movement. And yeah. I think that, you know, especially for African-Americans, Latinos, Asian-Americans, and even white people, I mean, this particular way of viewing whiteness in terms of religion has got everyone sort of in this bind right now. And I think we see it so much in the country with everything that is happening, whether we're talking about anti-trans laws or book banning or anything else that's happening right now, which there's a lot. Mm -hmm. I think that white evangelicals have found themselves not as the saviors of the nations, but as the killers of the nation. Yeah. Have you been as surprised as I have to see the Southern Baptist Conference decide that they don't need more members because too many churches have been ordaining women? I mean, say what you yeah. want about Rick Warren. He 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 has always walked their very right wing path, but he committed the crime of so. be, he committed the crime of believing that 51 percent of the world's population is morally fit for the priesthood and they're banishing him. I guess they just got too many members and they can afford to alienate this many people. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's not just that they think they have too many members. It's think that they need to have some kind of purity when purity yeah, has been it. a problem for them on many levels. Right. That's it. And this is this is the thing when you when you start to circumvent everyone and you try to put women in a particular spot, which is, you know, at home, barefoot, pregnant. However, they see this idea about submissive women and submissive wives. You, you don't have space for the talents and the intelligence 
and the kind of thing that women preachers bring to congregations. And so I find this fascinating that they were willing to just boot out a huge church that has a big history in the convention for this kind of, uh, you know, I'm just going to say it, Neanderthal thinking, but that would insult the Neanderthals. <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, Rick Warren is like the the the, the Hillsong Soho House Church of right wing yeah. Jesus cults that have nothing to do with what Jesus talked about. I, I guess they feel like they don't need his bestsellers anymore. But, you know, I, I do yeah. want to I do want to say the title of your book is is to me a lesson in and of itself. White evangelical racism. It's It's very straightforward. But as you noted in the book. The definition of white evangelical has evolved and changed considerably over the years. So let me just get this one out of the way. How would you define that term today? If if it's today um, where we are in March of 2023, I would define it as a group of people who believe that Donald Trump is the new Jesus Christ. Right on. And and I hate to say that, but I, I mean, that's where I am today. Yeah. And, and the reason why I say that is because it's the slavish devotion to to sort of, you know, at least for some parts of this movement to conflate the, you know, the life of Jesus with the life of Donald Trump. And this is really terrible. I mean, evangelicals now are, are people who are not, you know, Christian in the traditional sense that we think about Christianity. Evangelicals are people who are bound to the Republican Party, at least in the United States context. They are bound to the, to the Republican Party. They are heavy uh, believers in theocracy and not democracy. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, against women. They are against, you know, gay people. They're against trans people. They're against anything that means anything other than a heterosexual cis normative lifestyle that lets men be in white men, particular in particular, in charge of everything. That's and it. so I think that, yeah, you know, what we see here with evangelicals now is this they're dying off. This is one thing that I think is really troublesome for them. But the other part of it is, is that they are the contrarians trying to drag us back to a time that had never existed. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the that's the thing is that these are also people who are delusional, who believe in a certain kind of history that they've made up in their minds. And also and I think most most importantly, are willing to persecute others in order for them to continue a persecution narrative that they believe about themselves. That's it. And I got to say, you know, I guess they could have picked better times to indict Donald Trump than Holy Week because... Uh, the amount of Good Friday parallels I have seen, I, I, I we've discussed this in the past, Professor, but as far as I can see, the only thing Donald Trump has in common with Jesus is that they both hung out with hookers and they both employed ghostwriters. Otherwise, yeah. uh, on a policy level, there's there's it's like a Venn diagram of two circles that never overlap. But that doesn't yeah, don't stop. forget the tax collector, though. Don't forget Zacchaeus. Oh, <laughs> Of course. But I mean, but everything, this is what boggles my mind. Being an amateur theologian, everything that the character of Christ preaches in the book, and I do mean everything, Mm -hmm. welcome the stranger, pay your taxes, stop executing people, care for the poor, care for the sick, that's individuals and nations. They ferociously oppose. Are you ever Mm -hmm. shocked that a, a, a religious left revival still hasn't sprung up to at least call them out on the tenets of their own book? I'm going to tell you why I'm not surprised. And and here's the thing. I, I'm not surprised that the religious left revival hasn't happened 
Because what is really happening is something much deeper, is the turn away from all of this religion together. That's it. And I think, you know, when we think about, you know, it was a Pew survey that was a few months back that said in 50 years, the nuns are going to be this enormous number in the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is happening is a hardening of, especially the younger generation, against any kind of, you know, this kind of formality of religion. It's not that people don't want to believe. What it is is that they see the hypocrisy in the belief. And so I think while there's, you know, there's a religious left that is there that has been, you know, active and, and forefront. We don't see what we saw with, you know, MLK or other kinds of religious left leadership. You know, I'm even even during the, you know, AIDS and everything else in the 80s, you saw a big religious left come out to fight against the kinds of conservatism that was against, you know, same-sex marriage and everything else. We don't see that now. And I think part of that is about attrition. Part of yeah. it is about age. And part of it is about, you know, people who are just like, I don't see anything in the Christian religious left in the United States either. And that's yeah. that's a very big indictment. That's it's but it's really true. I mean, I think the largest growing religious group in this country, it's not Mormons, which they tell us it's people who were raised religious and now consider themselves spiritual because they're turned yes. off to the hypocrisy of these men in dresses and, and funny hats. But it's yeah. interesting because you, you talk about how the numbers are declining in the evangelical population. And yet as a political movement, even as the number of adherents goes down, they still wield enormous power. What accounts for this influence? Is this just the 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 dying throes of a once powerful movement? No, and I think this is what people need to understand. I, I can't stress this enough. It's not the dying throes. It's the money. And I think when once people begin to sort of look past, you know, these evangelical blowhards that are in the news that are burning books or whatever, and look past to the people who are funding all of this, then you begin to see a sort of a different picture. And what I would say is that when you know when you think about things like Focus on the Family, Family Research Council, all these other organizations, they're lobbying organizations. They are not religious organizations per se. That's number one. But if you think about the kinds of you know anti-trans laws that are coming up, the book thing, everything else, like just take Ron DeSantis for example. Please. Ron DeSantis has a tremendous amount of money behind him. He's Catholic. Doesn't matter. You've got Catholics in the mix of this. You've got evangelicals in the mix of this. And they're being funded by big money people who are conservatives, who want to see a certain kind of lifestyle preserved for them, while other lifestyles that have been, you know, sanctioned by law in the United States, nobody's telling you you can't dress up the way you want to dress up or anything else. All these other things that have been sanctioned, they want to lock down and they're using religious means to do it. It doesn't mean that they're religious. It just means that they're using the function of religion to do that and specifically Christianity. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Let me ask you, in the very beginning of the book, you state racism is a feature, not a bug, of yeah. American evangelicalism. And I, I completely agree. I think the worst thing that ever happened to religion in this country was when they began having illustrated Bibles in the 19th century that showed the white blonde Jesus. I think that yeah. hurt this country more than anything in print ever. But but how do you mean it when you say racism is a feature, not a bug? I, I mean that it's embedded in the theology. I mean that it's embedded in the, the belief. I mean, you can't, you know, it's not just white Jesus. It's the fact that you, you can have white Jesus, but you also have to say, Black people are not a creation of God. They are some aberration. This is what people believe in the 19th century. Or black people are cursed because they have the mark of Cain. You know, how do you justify slavery? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you use that book to justify everything, right? And, and, And these are the ways in which, you know, evangelicals and many others have not been able to look at these historical antecedents and say, this is part of how we our theological belief is put together. Let me go back further, because I think this Please. is a good example to think about this. If you think about South Africa, how do you get apartheid in South Africa? You get it because you have Dutch reform theology. You have people who think, okay, this is okay to put people in homelands. It is okay to have slavery. It is okay to have all of this. And that goes back to the Reformation. So you can't just say that, you know, this is this is you know simply a way that people read the Bible in America. It's mm-hmm. the way that people are starting to read the Bible through the Enlightenment and all the rest of this in order to construct these kind of racial hierarchies that make you know white men on top of everything else. It boggles my mind. I mean, the group now that they're trying to use the Bible uh, to discriminate against morally would probably you know Muslims are taking a backseat. It's still undocumented immigrants and trans children. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of thought, uh, you know, the Bible's pretty specific. No laws on immigration, no laws about borders. Yeah. You know, welcome the stranger. That's the only thing Jesus ever says you're commanded to. And yet mm-hmm. our right wing Christian friends will latch on to Paul, Romans, respect the governing authorities, and they'll never mind mm-hmm. how many laws Donald Trump's broken. They're going to find a way to go after the marginalized brown people. And don't get me started on the women. I mean, it's just it's always everyone picks and chooses their holy books. They always pick and choose liberals, conservatives, everyone pick and chooses. But it's consistently the right wing evangelicals and Catholics who pick and choose to justify Mm -hmm. cruelty and exclusion. Yeah. And I mean, I have to say, I mean, this is this is a slight diversion, but I'm going to say I'm very disappointed in the direction that the president is going in right now in Please. terms of immigration, because he's he's picking up, you know, some of the same stuff. And I'm just like, Biden, you know better. You, you're supposed to be a good Catholic. You know, this is not the way that the Catholic Church has been about immigration, despite, you know, the differences between all of the, you know, the bishops conference and everything else. And so mm-hmm. I'm very interested to see how he's being dragged to the right. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, uh, me too. No. Well, it's got, I mean, it's, it's you know, look, Joe Biden, one thing he's good at is winning elections and Democrats know when yeah. to throw the liberals and minorities under the bus to try to remind the great white center, hey, I'm not that bad. I'm not that liberal. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's true. We're at a time now when we're going to need one million more people a year just to keep our population numbers up. There's there's mm-hmm. what is it? Uh, 40 million baby boomers retiring and only 20 million Gen yeah. Xers to take their place. I mean, at some point, exactly. this country is going to have to have a reckoning. 
Yeah, it has to have a reckoning. And it's not just that. It's the question of, you know, what kind of people do we want to be, you know, morally and civically? Do we want to turn people away at the border that are escaping, you know, gangs and rape and, and torture and, you know, horrible conditions like people are trying to escape in Haiti right now. And you get sent yeah. back to those same places on boats. And then, you know, I, I'm going to be blunt here and say, but you can have Ukrainian refugees come in. Now, that's, I have nothing against Ukrainians. I think they need to be here, too. Yeah. But what I do want to say is that you can't pick and choose who the perfect immigrant is. You need to, <laughs> if you're going to do this, let every, you know, let people come through a process, let everybody come in. That's what I'm saying. You know, let me quote you. You said evangelicals need to come clean about the fact that their theology doesn't matter to them or anyone else when it comes to voting or upholding moral values. It's about authority and power. I, I completely agree. Of all the key issues that evangelicals have succeeded in shaping which do you believe, Professor, have had the greatest impact on our current politics? That's a really good question. I, I'm actually going to go in a direction you don't think I'm going to go in. Okay. But I actually think that the thing that they have shaped the most has been about abortion. Oh, me too, completely. And, and the reason why I say this is because nobody ever thought Roe was going to go. Nobody mm -hmm. thought it. But Roe going opened up the door to do all kinds of like devious, terrible things. We were thinking about the abortion drug. I'm going to mispronounce it, mephesterone right yeah, now. I mispronounce it every night. It's OK. Yeah. The, the FDA right now. I mean, that has opened up the door. How that is going to take down women's health care. You know, how they have hobbled, you know, Planned Parenthood that was giving predominantly health care for women. Who couldn't afford it? That's this was it. a place you could go for your gynecological exam. And these are the kinds of things that, you know, you have one brick starts to fall, but it was the organizing brick for everything, right? So it, it made it easy to bring people around this, this issue. It brought Catholics and evangelicals together, yes. right? And it created this sort of symbiotic relationship for them so that all the rest of this stuff, whether we're talking about sexual politics and everything else, it all comes back to genitalia. Yeah. And, and once you start messing with people's genitalia and trying to tell them what to do with their bodies, then that's where the whole thing gets up and your autonomy is taken away and you find yourself not in a democratic process, but in an authoritarian regime. Boom. I, can I ask you about rage? Because not too long ago, yeah. I, before the pandemic, you gave this lecture in Boulder about mm. religion in the age of anger that I, I remember reading part of. And I'm curious, how do you think the 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 turmoil the rage of our society today has affected the study and practice of religion and how has the rage affected our view on faith i don't think we've seen the tremendous backlash that we could see but what i do think is that people are starting to realize that you know these insidious creeps upon their autonomy as a person who they with who they love how they dress where they go how they go to get medical care all of these things are being controlled. And so I actually think that there's going to come this moment. I don't know when the moment of, you know, Frisier comes where mm -hmm. people really lose it. But, you know, just like, you know, Black Lives Matter are out in the street about police, you know, violence. There, I hope, will come a day when people start to think about maybe we need to think about what the moment is that you start to think about that everything, now, no matter if you're a child or an adult or a teenager or anything else, that all parts of your life will be controlled by a small group of people who don't believe what you do, who want you to believe what they do, and therefore want to have control over everything. 
And I think this is where I'm going to disagree with a lot of people. A lot of times when people are protesting about certain things and talk about, you know, the handmaid's tale and all this, I'm like, this is much worse than the handmaid's tale. Okay. The handmaid's tale is really bad, but what you're looking at is one particular part of this, which you have to start to see is how this is destroying your civic life, how it destroys democracy and how it destroys the freedom that, you know, black people have always known that we had to fight for, but the rest of you are taken for granted. And I think that people cannot take this for granted anymore, because if this continues along the path that it does, then I think there's a lot of anger and rage. And unfortunately, right now, the only people that seem to be showing the anger and rage are the conservatives who feel aggrieved at every moment when they are really getting a lot of what they want. Well, can I ask you about them? Because as you note, I'm going to quote you again. Hundreds of articles and a fair number of books have been written in attempts to understand evangelicals rock solid support for Trumpism. And it's something that still fascinates me. In all your research, having written this wonderful book, what conclusions have you reached? Why do evangelicals embrace the MAGA lifestyle? Two things. One, they like strong men. And I think this is really where, you know, I think about Jeff Charlotte's work here, which is really important. He's got a great new book called The Undertow, which I think everybody should be reading. If you want to read my book along with the book, read my book and then read The Undertow, and that's going to help you. But I think that the, the part of this that is really striking for me is that it's about whiteness. I mean, yeah. Donald Trump gives voice to their whiteness in, in a ways that, you know, George Bush and his daddy and, you know, Reagan and all these people play to all of this. This is what presidents do, right? They play mm-hmm. to the status quo. But Trump took it one step further. He didn't go for the status quo. He just went for like everybody. So this anger, <laughs> he had a grievance policy that was able to get from the, you know, from the dude bro at one of the, you know, one of the big firms, you know, money firms in New York to the dude that's in the trailer. They could all feel the same way about feeling aggrieved, even though they were two very different spaces on the on the economic scale. Right. And and it got to white women, you know, if you can just see it in all these little angry videos that pop up on Twitter all the time, where it's some Karen yelling at somebody about you just hate me because I'm white. I, and I just think that's like the, that's the ca- encapsulating agreement. You hate me because I'm white. It's so yeah. whiteness has become this thing that is victim victimization. Oh, and yeah. Trump gave them victimization as white people. 100%. And that works. Hundred percent. The the I mean, that's that's fascism 101. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you are being attacked by a minority. A tiny, Mm -hmm. powerless, marginalized group is going to take away your freedoms. Only I can keep you safe. (laughs) Vote for me. And that's why we see all these hardworking white people celebrating this millionaire at birth with a gold toilet who's promised he's going to fight the elites for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And, And making excuses for him about Stormy Daniels. And I'm like, you know, I mean. I, I think about Story Daniels all the time, but I just think, wow, this is going to be the person who probably brings this down. And I, I can't enjoy it more because I think it's really great, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, you know, I'm sorry for her that she had to do that with him. Yeah. But, you know, and and the last part is, is that what <laughs> I'm finding and what I see is so many people willing to give him a pass for this. But that goes back to that sexism and the racism embedded in evangelicalism. Exactly. And I exactly. think about All of those death threats Alvin Bragg is getting, all the crime in your city and you're going after this Mm -hmm. man. In other words, it's white people telling a black DA, hey, there's too much crime. Why don't you Mm -hmm. let the criminal I like walk free? Exactly. Let the white guy walk free because he can't be a criminal. He's white. He's not a criminal. Please. Come on. He he didn't. 
Yeah. I mean, hey, you steal little, they'll put you in jail. You steal big and they'll make you president. Are you are you at all invested, Professor, in the present circus? Uh, you know, do you do you think there's a chance that there will be uh, incarceration or at least a, a very unpleasant series oh, of indictments in the future? I definitely think he wants the perp walk. He definitely wants the perp walk because that's going to make him a martyr. I mean, I mean, it's the perfect thing to happen. Do I think it's going to be incarceration? I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that at some point when all of this comes crashing down around him very quickly, you know, hopefully it's taken a long time, seems like he might want to take an easy way out. Let's just put it like that. Mm-hmm. But I think on the other hand, will I think that we're ever going to see him like locked up in a federal prison? No. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but I just don't think so. I think he'll he'll keep trying to figure out ways to drag it out. Although, you know, what just happened to him with the other case and the lawyer makes me think that he can't they will not let him drag it out anymore. So, yes, I expect I expect the purple war. By take the easy way out, do you mean a country with no extradition laws? Is that what you mean by the easy way out? Uh, I, I, I could definitely see him getting, uh, getting on a yacht somewhere off of Mar-a-Lago and rowing himself out to a Russian yacht to be picked up. <laughs> Professor, thank you so much for your generosity of time. I have one You're last welcome. thing I want to ask you about, because I love sure. this book, and I will have you on the show as often as you'll come back to talk about it. It's such an important Absolutely. book. But you've said because of racism evangelical decency was lost. And I agree. What would have to happen for the good that once was a part of evangelicalism to be recovered? Is there a way this movement can be fixed? Listen, this is where I, I, I'm going to quote the words of Jesus. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, therefore it could bring much fruit. This thing's got to die. Yeah. And some of these, these some of these perpetrators have got to just like go on and be with their Jesus, whoever they define Jesus to be. And that's not wishing death on anybody. That's right. That is just saying the natural order of things in and how we have our lives. There has to be some kind of reckoning for all of this. And I think the reckoning comes, honestly, you know, they will lose a lot of momentum when Donald Trump is gone. That's it. And whatever gone means is, is, you know, suspect. But I think that you can't where they are right now and the, and the rock solid support for Trump looks like to me that somebody who is even as, you know, cold and calculating and callous as DeSantis can't even crack it. I mean, he thinks he is. He's trying everything he can do. But what he doesn't (laughs) understand is that he doesn't have the charisma to pull off. He's not going to make it. Oh, we talk about it every night. Anthea Butler, it is a great honor anytime we can get you on the air. Ms. Butler is Associate Professor of Religious Studies and Africana Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Her book is Essential, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. Thank you so much for coming back. This door is always open to you on this platform. We're always thrilled. Oh, thanks, John. I appreciate that. Lovely to be with you. Thank you. And we'll be right back. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Thea Harper and a Minority Report. Let's face facts, cause we know what's the real motives. In the land of the free is full of free lotus. Leave us dead in the street to be the organ donors. They disorganized my people, made us all loners. Still got the last names of our slave owners. In the land of the free Man, I love it when our producer Thea comes on the show. Welcome back. Hey, John. Thea, I, listen, we, we haven't mm-hmm. talked about the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment too much. It's yeah. like the story has kind of gone away, even if all the carcinogens haven't. But uh, let me ask, you've been doing some digging on this. And um, even though the Norfolk Southern CEO finally apologized for this train derailment, it turns out the story is even more damning than we had realized. Right. So Chris sent me this article titled... White East Palestine, Ohio, get apologies, but none for Black Cancer Alley. So we all know about the train derailment. And uh, pretty much since the derailment, uh, Norfolk Southern Railway has issued an apology, vowed to make it right. But there's also an area in Louisiana that is predominantly Black, and that is known as Cancer Alley, where there is a high risk of cancer due to pollution um, exposure. Yep. Yep. It's like 85 miles river corridor. And it's over 200 chemical plants in this area just pushing out emissions all the time. And we know who lives in polluted areas. It's low-income Americans. That's right. And it's just really unfortunate because the companies that are responsible for this pretty much don't care about how it's impacting um, these communities. And these areas are called sacrifice zones by environmental justice advocates. Wow, sacrifice yeah. zones, Jesus. And industrial giants assume that you know people who live in these zones live with such feelings of defeat because they'll never be able to fight back because you know these communities don't have the money or resources to do so. Mm. I know this one Japanese company, Denka, bought mm-hmm. this plant from DuPont. I think DuPont like still owns the land it's on, but uh, yeah. they've, they've said they've known since 1941 that this place makes chloropine and it makes their own workers sick. And they've just done nothing but bury reports. Pretty much. Danka is denying all of this, even though DuPont, like you said, did a toxicology and they found that, you know, chloropine and it's pretty much just a carcinogen. But pretty much Danka did their own report and they're saying that there is no evidence of any carcinogens, pretty much. Of course. Of course. It just it just seems like this is what always happens, isn't it? I mean, like we have the one of these environmental disasters and you get people all upset and then African-Americans are like, hey, we've been dealing with this for a long time. It's like what we saw during the recession when things got so bad for white people and black folks were like, yeah, guess what? It's been like this for a lot of us for a long time. Right. And then the part that stuck out to me in this article was that during 2020, during the racial reckoning, after the murder of George Floyd, DuPont was one of the many corporations that promised a commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion. They wrote an open letter and they said this moment in history demands 
or target response to the daily persistent racial injustices that Black Americans endure. And to me, that just goes to show that it's, you know, all performative because if they truly believed in what they wrote, those facilities would still not be able to operate today and they would be doing everything in their power to make it right. But, But that's just not the case. I mean, I think it's great they're hiring non-white people to work in their polluting factories. I think it's great they're on the record apologizing for poisoning a mostly white community. But, you know, I know nine of the 11 facilities that the EPA called out in their toxic release inventory, nine of the 11 are in heavily black districts and no new facilities are allowed to locate in the majority white parts for the past 46 years. That's correct. Uh, That's what the lawsuit states. Pretty much the prominence of pollution coming from the industry the victims are alleging that, you know, this is clearly environmental racism in the lawsuit. Thea, thank you so much for this story. I'm sorry our time has cut short tonight, but I really, really appreciate this. Thank you. You're the best. 